Hello, spreaders, and welcome to The Spread. But The Spread in 2021, we're now in season five of The Spread podcast. Can you believe it? That means we've been operating for going on five years. This is such a huge milestone. In this episode, we talk to sex workers and get their take on experiences during this quarantine period. How has their work been affected? In what ways are they transitioning to this new normal? And if adapting to more digital content is the way forward for sex work. Including some tips and tricks on how to succeed in the online world of creating ethical content and consumers. Sex in Quarantine was moderated by Magic Dyke. Magic is a non-binary Kenyan drag king performer. He currently resides in Washington, D.C. A force by any other name, the king of beards and titties has never met a binary they couldn't break, a body they couldn't caress, and a crowd they couldn't melt. Lord Jesus. Every one of his performances defines drag as a conversation between desire, sex, and elation. Magic uses his various social media platforms to uplift and encourage his queer community through his life coaching and his drag. Joining them on this panel is Tapiwa, who believes in filling our lives with as much as we can and doesn't really have a specific field of interest and expertise and often refers to himself as a generalist. He's currently working with Rope to encourage discourse around sex, sensuality, intimacy, desexualization of naked bodies on the African continent. And last but never least is King Noir, master fetish trainer, porn star, artist, co-owner of Royal Fetish Films, who needs no introduction as he's been featured on the Spread podcast on several occasions. So before we begin, guys, please don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are at the Spread across the board and leave us a review if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts. This is a reason why we stay on top. Also, good news, Spotify is now available in Kenya. So if you want, you can listen to us over there. Uh, if you so please. But let's get into the podcast. Boy, kiss me, I'm dying to find a deep meaning. It could be the simplest crime, or maybe a soul is beaming. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex and Quarantine panel. My name is Magic Dyke, and I'm joined here by the phenomenal King Noir and Tapiwa. It's about two minutes in, and I think most of the people are already in here that are supposed to be in here. So we're going to get this thing started. So with the majority of the workforce going digital in this pandemic, the sex work landscape has also found new ways to exist in the virtual world. Our objective with this time today is to talk to sex workers and get their take on experiences during this quarantine period. We'll discuss the different ways they've transitioned into this new normal and talk about the future of the sex work industry in a post-pandemic world. So I'm going to give you all a chance to just say hi to the people and introduce yourselves in case I missed anything. And first up is going to be you, Tapiwa. Oh, thank you so much, Magic. Yeah, I am uh, based in Cape Town and I've been doing work around intimacy, particularly platonic intimacy and how we often neglect that as something significant for a lot of our lives. So I've been trying to get people to challenge their notions of what intimacy looks like and if we can decouple sex and intimacy as two separate things that can coexist at the same time together, but can also operate in separate spheres, I think it will bring us a bit closer to each other. 
without necessarily having to equate intimacy and physicality or sexuality. Yeah. Thank you. And then King Noir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy to be here, answer any questions that you have in regards to sex work and how this pandemic has affected it. I think it's kind of like been moving in the direction that it was already moving in, which is a whole lot more online, a whole lot more interaction between uh, between professionals and, and clientele and kind of cutting out the middleman of larger companies and actually allowing people to go straight to their favorite performers for content or go to their favorite workers for uh, screening online. So I'm happy to, to get into it. Awesome. So the first question is just, we're going to assume that no one knows what sex work is because I know that we have viewers from all around the world. So King Noir, how do you define sex work? I define it as any way that sex is a part of your income. It's a part of your business. It's what you're selling. You receive monetary gain from it. You know, um, there are a lot of different forms of sex work and some are more accepted in larger society, depending on which country you're in. Um, some are a little bit more on the fringes, but I think that sex work is work no matter what form of sex work it is. Uh, I don't think there should be a totem pole of it, but you know, it ranges from stripping to uh, people who are uh, porn performers to uh, see, taking in-session clients for dominatrix, dom work, or people who have sex for money straight up. Thank you. And Tapiwa, how do you define sex work? I think King covered most of it, actually. That's a quite a nice uh, answer. He's provided a lot of uh, base and a lot of uh, acceptance in the definition. I think it can be quite open-ended because there are so many different ways in which we define sex for ourselves as well. So... I quite like the open-ended possibility of that definition. So I wouldn't add much to it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, King pretty much covered the textbook definition of sex work. So thank <laughs> you for that. Yeah. Um, my next question is, and any of you can answer this, how have you integrated your work into the digital sphere? I think we both have been operating in a digital space in some ways. Um, I think King more so than I have. So I've always done some workshops online uh, in terms of like rope, uh, I don't like saying rope bondage, like rope workshops. And in terms of now being predominantly online, I've actually struggled a lot because a lot of the teaching that I do involves physically showing people how to do things. And so now you're trying to teach through this barrier. And I'm always like, hold the rope that way. And it's, uh, it's proving to be quite challenging adjusting to mostly existing online as opposed to being in physical space with people. And obviously with the lag internet speeds and barriers in between you and the other people, it's challenging me to be more creative with how I instruct so I have to teach in different ways now. So it's making me go in a different way. And so now it's like, okay, how do I adjust to life now? Out of the discomfort comes a lot of growth, yeah. So in a way, I'm appreciative that I'm having to navigate life in this way. It's not ideal, and I feel like it's complementary to a fuller picture but for now I'm having to adjust and learn a little bit more yeah yeah there's been for me personally I forgot to introduce myself my name is magic and I am a sex worker in the terms of I'm a stripper back when COVID wasn't a thing I used to work in the clubs and I have OnlyFans content and I produce a lot of my drag work online 
And when the pandemic hit, we shifted everything into the virtual spaces because my normal work areas were bars, clubs, you know, gatherings of like 50 plus people. Now we are performing online, which has been interesting in the sense of it's kind of hard to perform in your house and not really have that energy to play off when you're like singing a song or doing different things. So like that aspect of it has really impacted the way that I create. And we're basically now we're videographers instead of like just drag artists. So it's been really, really interesting to navigate that. But it's more like what month four in. So I think I've pretty much gotten the hang of it. Thank goodness, because we're out here trying to survive. So King Noir, how has the quarantine changed your online content? I have a lot more of it, I feel like, now. Um, I think before the actual pandemic hit, um, and we were already getting our feet wet with OnlyFans and, and a couple other digital platforms. We already had our website, royalfetishxxx.com, going, and, and a, lot of, a lot of different clip stores that were, that were showing our content. But I think once the pandemic hit, it kind of, you, you have to fully immerse yourself in all of those platforms in order to, you know, make bank. You know, we were in the middle of a tour. We were actually supposed to be heading out Yahweh soon. Um, and we had to shut all of that down. We've been doing kinky pop-ups all over the country. 2019, we were all over the world. So it was kind of like, now we can't have our events in person anymore. So how are we going to engage our fan base? How are we going to keep people getting the things that they want to learn, the things they want to see? So, you know, we wind up on Spreadfest, you know, on Zoom or, or a couple other uh, events that have been Zoom parties. And we've been doing lives on, on sites like Camp 4 and on my OnlyFans. So, you know, this, it's just kind of like adapting. You know, a lot of people say, you know, sex work is the oldest profession. So it's had to adapt through every single age of human existence. So now we're in the digital age and we're just adapting to a new way. You know, it's like... Uh, there's always going to be a, a demand for sex work. So it's really just about how as sex workers, we're going to get, you know, the product to the people. Amen to that. And then speaking of your tour, I had the bookmark on your June DC date and I was so heartbroken when everything just extended, you know, month after month, we're like kind of hoping like, okay, maybe it's going to clear up. Summertime came, everything is still shut down, but I'm mad that I had, all your dates bookmarked and I was so ready for it. But you know what? <sighs> riding these waves, riding these waves. Word. <laughs> so my next question is, what are the different platforms that exist and which ones are your favorites? I think for me right now, I mean, obviously for, for our website, I really enjoy uh, both Royal Fetish and KingNoirXXX.com, which uh, is through adult member sites. If you need a referral, hit me up. We are able to go live on our website. We're able to have clips posted, like every scene that we've ever done is on there. Uh, we're able to live chat with our fans on there. And, you know, they could stream, they could download live uh, Skype Boom sessions. So I like, I like that there's so much that's available. And then, you know, coming in close second, uh, OnlyFans, just because it's pretty much Instagram, but with a also, it can be a big thing is I know that there are a lot of countries that don't have OnlyFans. So um, when it comes to like what another suggestion would be for that one, I'm, I'm not sure. But OnlyFans does have like the ability to send out mass messages and they could be paid or they could be free. You know, like just 
the operating system is really great for engaging with your fan base. Yeah, for my end, it's a bit trickier because on the continent, we actually, there's a struggle between using US or European or Israeli-based platforms on the continent because trying to get your money from the system is really difficult. Like OnlyFans, if you're trying to claim back some money back, there's a minimum amount, like 200 years dollars or whatever the number is, because uh, my sex work is not my only thing that I'm doing, so I don't push it as hard, which means I don't make as much money as I would if it was my only focus. So sometimes you feel like you're putting out all this effort and all this energy, and your money is just hypothetical sitting somewhere. Um, so that's a struggle for me. And I think if I had to settle on one thing, it would probably be my own website. That would be probably the best way to control your content for yourself and interact with people, like King was saying. And the money is going to get to you quicker as well. But in terms of creating content that's also accessible, uh, I think uh, because of where I live, I don't know what it's like in America, but in Cape Town, particularly in South Africa, there's a huge history of this huge gap between uh, sort of lower income spaces. And that usually means black people and access to certain things. And sex education can be actually quite a luxury in some regard. So a lot of my work is also focused on just disseminating out in things for free because there aren't that many black people on the continent doing this kind of work. And if I were to put a paywall on most of my work, it would limit that access even more. So I found for myself, I'm okay using Instagram to teach and to spread uh, the message, I suppose. And even my workshops, some of them are free, they're more accessible, price bracket, even my rope kits, I send my own rope kits to make things more affordable. So access in a free way to black people on the content for me is really important. Yeah. So that's why Instagram comes into play. Yeah. Yeah, I find that most of my work is on Instagram and then I lead people to my OnlyFans and to other channels where the restrictions and the community guidelines are not as strict as they are because Facebook, Instagram, I've been shadow banned, blocked several times and like it's very, very hard to even just put out, you know, teasers where everything you're still abiding by the community guidelines. But since we are, we do have a presence that, you know, is very much so open as far as our sexualities and the things that we talk about, you know, certain words, like the, I think the word sex and breast and like all the other words that are just like educational purposes, they're all blocked on Instagram and Facebook. So it's like your content disappears into the ether mm. and the algorithm really, really messes with our visibility, which is such a challenge when you're trying to not only create content for your livelihood, but just, trying to get the resources out to people who need them. Cause like, like you said, accessibility is one of the most important thing when it comes to our work. And especially because I know that, you know, King Noir and you Tapiwa, like you guys both have channels where it is courses. It is one-on-one trainings is there's a lot of much needed content that you put out, which is very commendable, but yeah, my, my, go-to platform has been zoom only because i can have like private lap dances and private shows here but even that mm -hmm. i think they're starting to crack down on sex work on this platform so it's like yeah. unless you have your own company or entity that you have full control over it's very hard to just get out your content but y'all have found ways to do that so congrats on that twitter twitter is helpful because you can post things on twitter that you can't post on um 
on Instagram. Like I've been, I'm, I'm on my third Instagram right now. You know? um, even, even Snapchat at a certain point does have certain algorithms that if you post certain things or say certain things, you know, you could get those shut down as well. But Twitter is still pretty much open for all and open for sex work as well. Um, mm-hmm. People have also been using, what is it? Uh, Telegram, you know, just as, just as another heads up for people. Awesome. Thank you for that. I forgot about Twitter. Cause I feel like my work on Twitter gets quickly, uh, it goes viral for all the wrong reasons because I am a non-binary drag king. So like when I'm posting my nudes with my beards and titties, it's a lot of people get upset with that. But Twitter is a great space when it's working for you. So my next question is, what are different ways that people can consume sex work ethically? Tapi, why you can go first. Mm. <laughs> for, for me, that's, Ethics are a difficult um, conversation for me because they're so contextual, right? Depending on your local community, wherever you are in the world, and depending on how you were raised and how you identify. And so it's, it's, it's hard to say how can I say my ethics and my peers' ethics are the right set of ethics. So I struggle defining that clearly to say this is the most ethical way. But I, all I know is how I decide to consume content in my own sort of code, I suppose. Yeah. And I do, I, cause I don't like the idea of prescribing ethics onto other people. There's an element of arrogance around it to say, I've found the solution that you all must now go out and practice. But for me, I think if you recognize that people are putting a lot of work into, a lot of effort into the work that they're producing and you like the content, why do you not support it in whatever way they need the support, right? If it's money or if it's access to other platforms or if it's uh, maybe you can host the website for them, whatever, right? It's about listening to the content creators or the people producing whatever it is that they're producing and asking, how can I help as opposed to, or how can I support or how can I contribute as opposed to assuming that you can definitely help by throwing money at the problem. But sometimes it's not even about money. Um, money is one part of the ethics of it. So I think engagement is important. And you as a creator, you should be clear on what you feel may be useful to you and how you'd like people to engage um, with the work that you're doing. Yeah. So I think it's very subjective and it's very personal. Okay, thank you. Like that's a new perspective because I never thought about engagement as a form of not necessarily payment, but as a way of judging the ethical consumption of sex work. So thank you for that new perspective. Uh, King Mm. Noir, how do you suggest people ethically consume sex workers' uh, content? I I think from getting it from them directly. You know, if you go to your favorite sex workers' Instagram or Twitter or uh, any of these kind of like open apps or, or spaces where they are advertising their content and their work. We usually tell you, these are the steps to see, you know, my, my scenes, my films, or to book me. This is how you do it. Follow those rules. Like everybody has, a, for lack of a better term, like a, a code of conduct that they want their uh, customers to follow in regards to, let's say, in-person bookings, right? So if 
someone is saying like, yo, you want to set up a session with me for, for flogging. And I say, okay, these are the steps. If you don't do it in those steps and you're trying to pull me away from something else or being disrespectful or being a little extra in my DMs, then obviously you're not showing respect for the work that I do. For all sex workers, if you're not following their code of conduct, then it's not ethical. You're being a jerk, right? And then just in regards to sharing our content, I, I really do like that, that point about being being um, proactive in sharing your favorite sex workers work and being supportive in whatever, whichever way you can, especially during this time, you know, so many people can't go dance at the club or see clients. It really is like people are having to make uh, decisions of how they bring their content to you. So be a little creative. A lot of times people think that the only way that they can enjoy a dance is if they're up on that person. But you know, magic, you just explain how you're doing it now. And that creates a whole different element and a whole different experience as a consumer. You know, like if you're in a strip club, you can't be there playing with yourself or the bouncer's going to beat your ass. But now you're in the comfortable, you're in the comfortable space of your own home. And with the permission of whoever you're on the other side with, you might be able to experience their, their performance in a way that you couldn't before. So open up your mind, sex isn't only in one way. And since we're in this new time, try and experiment with different ways to enjoy your favorite performance. Amen to everything you well, can, said. Can I just add something to echo his sentiment there? Of course. The, around sharing of content though, I think it's important to share the content with the affiliated links and credits or whatever, because there's this culture of cropping out watermarks, putting things on Reddit or Pornhub, whatever, other people's platforms, and you are getting the currency or whatever you're getting from that experience without accessing the original creator and without providing a pathway to that content creator. Yeah. So I think that to me, that's ethical. If you're going to say, I found some dope shit and here's the person who made that dope shit. Yeah. Thank you for that. That leads me to my next question. What are, because I know in this society, we have people who appropriate sex work without compensating the sex workers like you can see you see that in music videos or just any type of depiction of sex work in the media or just like you said people taking your work cropping out your watermarks and not sharing your work fully so what has been your experience with that in the online sphere that shit is painful <laughs> you know um there's been a, a bunch of times when people have taken videos or scenes even even just the trailers that i've worked on and, and taking out any credit whether it be the watermark at the bottom or the company logo in the beginning or the end of the clip and that's your work you know so anytime it's stolen you know it's same kind of thing as a musician when somebody jacks some of your bars or or puts something out on a platform that you don't see any revenue for you know, this is how you earn a living. This is this is how you feed your family or feed yourself or whatever. So anytime that, that something is stolen, that's the same as somebody running into the store and snatching something out and running out with it, not paying for it. So I think that um, it's kind of like the same thing as in person. If you at the club and you're not tipping, you know, ask need to go. It's the same kind of thing online. You know, if, if you are uh, consuming whether even if it's on a tube site, you know, if you're on a tube site and you're, you're consuming something from, from a performer, then try to go show that performer some love somewhere. Go, everybody 
has some kind of way that you can tip them these days, even if it's just sending something through Venmo or Cash App to somebody. So, you know, show those performers love because you got off on a sweat. You know, they, 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 their work is what got you off. So show them some love, show them some appreciation. I think, and pe people often uh, disregard the free things that someone provides as, okay, then it's free games, it's for everybody, I can do whatever I want with it as well. Just because something has been made available for free, you can still rob someone of that content if you're not uh, using it in a responsible way as well, yeah. Because most of my work is for free, but it doesn't mean it's for free for you to do whatever you feel like doing with it, yeah, you know? Because there was a message behind me creating it, there was an intention, there was a purpose that was meant to serve, and then you're copying things out, you're editing for yourself, or you're applying filters, whatever it is you're doing, you're changing the original intention, and people may still recognize, oh, this is King's work, or this is Magic's work, but they seem to be doing some different shit now, because some part of that story is now missing. So I think that's important as well, to consider, even if something is freely available, it doesn't necessarily mean it's free to adulter or to temper with, yeah. I've actually had some horrible experiences with, with people stealing. So somebody was on Instagram and they were stealing pictures from my Instagram, my Twitter, and then contacting my fans who commented in my, in my posts, asking for money, um, in some cases asking for people to meet up. And in those kind of situations, you know, obviously this is a dangerous person on the other side. You know, um, so in those kind of instances, you know, when it comes to, to stealing, when people normalize, you know, I'm gonna snatch this person's picture and then this has happened as well. They use my picture for a flyer of an event that I'm not even gonna be at, you know? So like that kind of normalcy online of, of stealing people's content or stealing people's work um, or even re just reappropriating it for your own shit is still stealing it. Um, you know, it can lead to situations that are dangerous for people, you know? So I, th I think that there is, um, there's gotta be a way that we do promote as much as possible to honor and respect people's content, you know, uh, whether it be a creative work or even just somebody's picture from, you know, a, uh, a selfie or something like that, you know, it's very important that, you know, that is something that we, uh, let people know that it's not okay and there can be dire consequences for it as well. Absolutely. Just like you said, it's like walking up in the store and just grabbing something off the shelf and running out. Like there's going to be consequences. And thankfully I know that a lot of when my work is stolen, I know that my fans are very good at helping me like either get pages taken down or things of that nature. So I know that we've all been blessed with the, you know, supporters that are diehard and will go, instantly start like deleting or um, reporting pages that are ripoffs of our accounts or people that are just using our images in the wrong context and in the wrong without permission like that's non-consensual you know which is something that's very big in our industry like when you're taking things without consent that's a major violation of someone's boundaries privacy revenue and just a whole slew of other things that make it hard for us to keep keep producing work like the more we produce i feel like the more challenges that exist 
for us to just thrive in a, in a situation where like sex work is already hard enough as is without the pandemic to thrive on, you know? In this week's podcast of the week, we would like to highlight Until Every Pod. In the spirit of archiving forgotten histories, Stoneface and April decide to create a radio story about Pio Gama Pinto to raise more beacons from the spark he bore. But with the support of many well-wishers who contributed their skill and time, what began as a small proof of concept grew into a full-length series. This project was a labor of love made by volunteers, independent of any organization and without any sponsorship. If you'd like, there's a direct link in the show notes below. Please be sure to check that out. Now back to our podcast episode. So what are the different ways that we as sex workers and people that are in the audience listening can help reduce the stigma of sex work? And any of you can answer. You actually had kind of brought it up in the last question about seeing with performers and and people of that nature incorporating sex work into their performances and and mainstream culture. And personally, I'm, I'm not against it. You know, I think that if those people are also pro-ho in the same way, you know, like Cardi B incorporating Shibari and things like that into, into the wet ass pussy video or just different dances or, or just references. She used to be a dancer. She used to be a sex worker. So, you know, I think that sex work has influenced what she talks about when she rapped. I think it's good because then people are hearing certain words, they're seeing certain images and they're feeling like, okay, that's cool. You know, it's all right to, you know, cringe when I see this because it's now something that that I see. So, you know, they'll uh, consume it in a different way. And I think it's the same thing for for sex workers, you know, obviously age appropriately when it is safe for us to say what it is that we do. We say it with pride. We're not saying, hey, you know, I'm a porn performer, kind of like hanging my head about it, you know, like. Be proud of what you do or, you know, I, I'm a dominatrix or I'm a, a rope rigger or whatever the case, like that's things that we should be proud of. I definitely believe that human beings as a whole, like there's a, a whole lot of hatred that, you know, especially like cis hetero men have towards the LGBTQIA community. And I think a lot of that hatred has to do with cis hetero men fit themselves into one of the smallest boxes that you can ever fucking imagine, right? So when they see people who are existing outside of that box and being proud and being happy and enjoying their lives in all certain kinds of different ways, and even if they're just still cis and hetero, you know, like, I can't wear pink because that's this or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like the things that they trap themselves in their minds in, they then hate other people for it. And I just feel like if all people were able to come out of the closet per se on what it is that you enjoy sexually, then this would be a better world for everybody to live in because people aren't, you know, then exploiting and using sex as a weapon and instead using it for what it's intended for. I definitely agree with that. And for for my context, uh, being black on the continent, 
there's a huge, huge, huge stigma component around talking about sex in general um, within um, African spaces. So part of my the effort around my work is to make it so normal that oh, it's just it's just a pure and is doing things sometimes that involve sex, sometimes they don't involve sex. It's very normal. It's I'm approachable. I'm a person people can access very easily. It makes it almost boring. That's like oh, okay, sex is just another thing that anyone is doing and he happens to get paid for it in some regard but so what almost everybody who has a job or works for somebody is getting paid based on their physical and mental output or emotional output we are all doing work using our bodies it just so happens if you are then maybe having sex with your body now we've got a problem with it but you're still using your body versus using your hands as a tool so for me part of the normalization is flooding spaces, especially social media spaces and in-person as well, I flood those spaces with my blackness and my unapologetic acceptance of my sex to the point where even my family sees my content online and they discuss it in WhatsApp. It's like, oh, do you see what type of was watching? Oh, the shame, the shame. Then I join those conversations and engage with them as well. I'm like, yeah, what's the actual problem here? You are having sex. Other people are having sex. I'm helping people learn about safe sex and educating young minds who are learning from often the bad sources about sex because people are still going to have sex no matter what. So why can't I, as part of my work, try and bring positivity and change this narrative around sex? And then my mom's like, oh, okay, okay, I kind of get it. And then another time my cousin will send another photo, oh, see, he's naked again on Instagram. Then it starts again. But every day I chip at it. You got to keep chipping at it because... If we shrivel back into ourselves and like pretend like this is what we do, then people will reinforce that shame. If you seem shameful about what you're doing, people will pick up on it and then they'll push back or rather push more shame onto you. Yeah. So you have to fight for yourself and then in turn that will change to as a fight for everybody else. Yeah. I agree with both of the points that you both made. Uh, pride, you know, knowledge is power. The more we stand, you know, stand up straight when we're talking about the work that we do or the way that we address our families, the shame comes from the external forces. I feel like most of us seasoned sex workers are at a place where they're comfortable being in a room and talking about what it is that they do with pride and honor. And when it comes to people like our families who might or might not understand what we do, like my experience with that, you know, family aspect of it to kind of bounce off what you said, Tapiwa. Um, I had my dad tell me that, like, oh, I heard that you are a stripper now. And I'm like, okay. And then he made this big fuss about it. I come from an African family, so he was like, there's a lot of people in the community talking about what you do. And I'm sitting there in this Starbucks, you know, little coffee shop just being like, yeah, I'm very safe in what I do. I make sure that I take the necessary precautions for my own, you know, safety and health. And I love what I do. So it's like the fact that I stood up for myself in that context for the first time and like, you know, going against your parents in the African context is scary. So standing up to him and just being like, yeah, this is what I do and I'm proud of it and I'm not going to stop doing it because the whole community is talking about it. Like he, he really didn't have any rebuttals. He was just like, oh, okay, well, all right. He's <laughs> like, I wasn't expecting that route. It's usually I speak and then you listen. But the perks of being so vulnerable with the world and sharing your, you know, our bodies, for me personally, sharing my body with the world has taught me to have thick skin. It's taught me to be proud of what I do. And it's like, 
we are emotionally vulnerable. We share parts of ourselves. When we're sharing our nakedness, it's not necessarily like physical vulnerability, but it's like it's vulnerable in the sense of we share ourselves with the world, flaws and all. And it teaches us to really embrace ourselves and to really be proud of who we are, what we've gone through and our journey that took us down this path, whatever the case may be, because we all get into sex work for different reasons. But to echo the both you know, sentiments that you both said, when you're proud of yourself and you're proud of your work and you share your knowledge and resources freely, it helps educate the masses. The people that are watching you and learning from you will then domino effect. They can teach other people. And before I know it, the stigma around sex work is reducing because we're all comfortable talking about our sexualities. We're all comfortable talking about our sexual experiences and the naked body is not something to be feared anymore. So, you know, I very much so agree with both of your sentiments. So when it comes to decriminalizing sex work, what is your experience like where you are? Like, is it legal there? Because I know that here in D.C., we're actively working to decriminalize it. So there's a lot of different organizations and a lot of pro-ho nonprofit organizations that are actively working to get like legislation and things of that nature that protect us as people who produce content online and in the streets or wherever. I think it will vary. It varies from country to country because I'm, I'm a Zimbabwean living in South Africa. And I know South Africa is a lot more progressive why do we even have to say progressive? South Africa is a lot more accepting, I suppose, and a lot more forward thinking compared to Zimbabwe. I think Zimbabwe is still illegal, but I stand under correction. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it's still illegal. And certainly um, being queer is illegal. So I know definitely sex work is going to be lumped up in that same um, treatment as well. But I personally haven't had any challenges. I think it's because the work that I do as well is more leaning towards education. So I think people give me a lot more slack, as it were. Yeah, so my lived experience hasn't been that particularly challenging around the criminal aspects of the work that I'm doing. But I think it's legal in South Africa, or at least decriminalized. I stand under correction here. Well, I currently uh, reside in Florida and Florida is like two or three different worlds all at the same time, depending on which part of the state you're in. Miami is a little bit more open just with sexuality in general than the rest of the state. But, you know, there are some dungeons throughout the state. Like uh, there's a couple in Miami, there's some in Tampa, and I think there's one in, in Orlando. And, you know, they, they keep it very, very... Uh, in the background, it's not something that that's in the foreground. A lot of porn is shot in Miami, so there's there, uh, you know, in that aspect, like you know, it's known that it's shot within the larger society and and with the political circles that people know that it's shot there. So then you also have evangelicals that are fighting against it being able to be shot there, and I think just nationally in the United States the Earn Act and, and, and things like uh, from a couple of years ago with SESTA and FOSTA acts that they were looking to pass, you know, there definitely uh, is a drive in the United States to make sex work even more criminalized um, just because they try to tie all sex work to human trafficking. And whereas human trafficking is a horrible thing and it needs to end everywhere. Not all people who choose to pursue sex work as, as a profession are trafficked into it. But, you know, there are some and they should go after those people 
who are putting people into those situations. But to criminalize the whole professional, I think, is detrimental because it pushes people more and more underground, which leads to more uh, violence and, and people exploiting other human beings. So it actually does, I think, push the uh, human trafficking element even more, more so long when you decriminalize people who are not in that situation. Yeah, I just I just quickly had a quick uh, Google here. It's definitely illegal here as well in South Africa, uh, and this sounds like it's going in that direction that you just described, King as well. Yeah, it's weird. Actually, I've never really thought about it. Yeah, because I just I just do me, and I don't I forget the bigger picture sometimes that the framework that I'm existing in actually some other people in my space can't operate as freely as I can. Yeah, so that's I think that was a huge uh, blinker spot for me. I totally missed the possibility that the work that I'm doing is illegal, yeah, but it is. And in the United States, the only place where it is uh, legal, uh, where prostitution is legal that I know of, kind of like on the outskirts of Las Vegas. I guess that's like Las Vegas County, but not actually within the city of Las Vegas. Uh, Everywhere else it is. uh, And also depending on where you are in the United States, what is defined as prostitution? So it's like definitely one of those things that if you are, performer or anything like that, a performer, a provider, whatever, make sure you know what all the laws are within your state, municipality, in your country, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the law, like the way that I know for Baltimore, one of my dominatrix friends was telling me about how the law is so specific in how it defines sex work, like anything could be sex work. It was basically anything that makes the man aroused is sex work. So it's like, you could be walking down the street and if someone gets hard by looking at you in your booty shorts, that's considered sex work. Like, so it, it's the way that she navigates it is, you know, she's well-informed and that's the one thing that we all have to be in this community and in this industry is just well-informed knowing what the laws are and knowing how to best protect yourself because safety is number one. And with more things being pressed on us, it's forcing a lot of people to go underground, which is where safety becomes an issue. The next question is, what does safety look like in this digital sphere? Like how can we best increase our safety? Because I know that plagiarism, people stealing your work and you know, like King Noir was saying, people asking your fans to meet up with them under the impression that they're gonna be meeting up with you. Like there's a lot of different things that are a lot of different avenues that our work ends up in just by the fact that we exist on the free internet and anyone whether good or bad intentions can easily grab our work and do whatever with it so what does safety look like to you how do you make sure or how do you try to best ensure that your work stays protected and you yourself stays protected well i am uh definitely learning as I go, you know, uh, I didn't grow up with a computer in the home like that. So like, I'm trying to catch up as much as possible. So I actually um, am part of the BIPOC collective and it is a collective for black and indigenous people of color, sex workers of all forms. Uh, it's, It's worldwide. So anybody who's a sex worker can come be a part of it. And we are going to be doing a very, very important talk hosted by um, Daisy Ducati on cybersecurity, August 13th. So you can, you can sign up for that directly. Now that's, that's one, one option. I, I know for me also, uh, it's, 
doing your screening process with people that you might meet in person, I think is something that is very, very important uh, for providers. And that means you might have to have extra steps in your security. You might have to have whoever the potential is provide references of other sex workers that they might have uh, patronized before or you know, just whatever makes you feel comfortable. And there is never, ever, 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 ever a reason to break your comfort for anybody. You know, obviously, sometimes we get in situations where we need money, but, you know, hospital bills are way more important or not being here at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, think of the consequences. You know, there are a lot of people who prey on uh, sex workers because they, they feel that we are not going to be protected by the laws of, of society. So you have to make sure that you protect yourself. Keeping some sort of physical protection in your whole bag, you know, whatever it may be. Try to do that within the laws of wherever it is that you live. You know, um, in some places you can carry a taser, uh, pepper spray, a uh, small knife or whatever. Get your, get your gun license if you are in America because everybody seems to be able to get guns in America. Whatever the case being that makes you feel uh, safe. Um, definitely self-defense classes are, are always positive as well. And then just when you're thinking about it in the cyber s section of things, you know, sell your stuff on sites where there is some kind of paywall. Like some people I know, they'll be like, oh, you know, I send people uh, things through Google or I send people WeTransfer or Dropbox. Uh, but just try and make sure that if you're going to be doing it that way, that you get your money first um, and that it's in a way that once you get said money, they can't reverse the charges. You know, that's why I do say it's better to be on a site like adult member sites or OnlyFans or whatever that you can say, hey, this person didn't pay and, you know, I need you to run their card or whatever the case being. So, you know, just protect yourself in every way possible. Yeah, from from my end, I'm also kind of learning as I go along, uh, particularly because I'm novice level of, of the journey, shall we say, without having to try to put a ranking on it. But I certainly have had far less interactions in general, which means my risk profile is probably lower than either one of yours. So I actually haven't had anything bad at all happen. Um, but certainly I have a history in martial arts, so I feel competent in my physical safety myself. And I typically verify if I'm going to meet up with someone, we normally will have some kind of video interaction beforehand. At least let me see who you are, what you look like. So it's a legitimate human being versus an organization of individuals, which is still possible. But at the very least, I have some faith I could take screenshots and provide that information to a partner who can keep it safe for me should something go horribly for whatever reason. I think from a digital safety point of view, the people you let host your content as well, it's really important for yourself. If you are going to put your content on a server that is unsecure, you're risking your content going out there without your control of it. And sometimes, I think OnlyFans recently did something where they changed the legal clause where now suddenly there's permission to do whatever they want with your content. I heard something about that a few months ago. I don't know if it's true or not. But you have to interrogate the different people who are custodians of your content, right? And because once you upload it and once it's hacked or stolen, it's, it's out there forever. It's going to be a lot of work to try and take it down. I think it's, it's unfair, that's, but that's the reality of the world is um, from purely from a physical point of view, because I'm a man, I feel safer. 
and a lot of the people that I interact with are women. And once in a while, there'll be a man in there, but typically it's women. I never really feel on age. I am cautious, but honestly, I don't know how magic, how you've experienced, uh, and King, how you've ex- experienced your safety, but I just show up, I'm like, yeah, no, let's go. I'm pretty comfortable. I take it for granted. And I think that's dangerous, but it's less stress as well. Yeah. Yeah, my safety precautions are very, very tight just because I am a non-binary queer, uh, like AFAB person and AFAB means assigned female at birth. So it's like, I know if I'm standing face to face with a man who wants to harm me, my chances of being able to protect myself and fend for myself are very, you know, low. So I don't put myself in situations where a lot of the work that I do, even before COVID, it was like everywhere I go to dance, I have my friends with me and I have my partner with me. Like I never went to clubs alone. I don't leave by myself and I don't, you know, like I have to take extra, extra precautions because of the many layers of my identity. Because it's like when I'm dancing, I'm dancing with the beard on. So it's like it's beard and titties. I'm very much so openly queer. So like if someone was, was at the club and they were like, what the fuck is this? And they and they decide to follow me outside of the club it's like i would be caught in vulnerable positions and if for any reason um the cops were called like i would still be standing there a queer person sex worker so like i would not feel protected by the law so it's i take a lot of different precautions to make sure that i'm safe and it's unfortunate that i have to go through these you know jump through so many hoops just to make sure that i can like get to work safely and like leave safely at like 3 a.m without worrying about like, well, let me make sure I'm holding my, um, you know, my little pocket knife in my hand as I'm walking to my car. Let me make sure my pepper spray is like right side up. Or let me make sure that my partner is like hand in hand with me. Cause at the end of the day, we're still two women. Like we're still two vulnerable women. So it's like, even though I'm pretty sure we, we could fight for our lives, but like, you know, there's so many layers of safety that go with being, you know, AMAB versus AFAB uh, people but learning as we're growing, like you guys both said, it's like this industry, you're, you're constantly learning how to adapt and how to thrive in your own way. I, I, can I just add on real quick? I do want to say that um, when we as uh, adult entertainers, sex workers put ourselves out there, we have to just remember that there are people who are looking to harm us, whether it be because of their political reasons, their religious reasons, or just plain old crazy, you know? So it is important and almost, I, I feel like part of part of our existence and part of our job is to maintain our safety and those who are engaging with us, maintain their safety at all times and walking into a spot and not knowing who else is in there, you know, you don't want to do that. You know, like if you're a dancer, just as you said, you know, have people with you. But it's it's very much like people should know where you are. You know, hopefully you have someone that you trust enough to give that information of the location of your sessions or whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this question, either of you can answer. It says, how do you tackle the issue around decriminalizing and legalizing sex work where conservatives feel like doing so would usher in social decline? I feel like the conversations around decriminalization and legalization of sex work are heavily rooted in problematic holier than thou mentality. How does one reason with such a position? Uh, for, for me, I, I find, and this is my style of engagement with any, with any sort of difficult conversation, difficult topics. I'm the kind of person who is willing to 
have the conversation in a way that no one is losing out. So I don't see myself as a sex worker trying to defeat the people against sex work. I see myself as a person trying to have a conversation so we can get to a new mutual location, a new mutual point of agreement so we can both all and all move forward. So that conversation to me looks like for me doing that labor to say, listen, how let me call you, what are your feelings? Let's talk about it, you know. Because that's how I approach my life in general. Whenever I have a beef with someone, a disagreement with someone, it's never someone has to lose this conversation or someone has to lose ground. I always approach it as we're both going to gain something out of this interaction. And I think um it's yeah, it's always unfair to the person who's fighting for equal treatment, right? And it's frustrating. Um for me, I've found the most success when you vilifying them and making yourself the victim just meet together somewhere in the middle say listen we both maybe are right can we find a better version of this thing even though you feel like they're wrong <laughs> sometimes it does help just to placate that ego and temper people down and i know that approach is for everybody and i respect that and i understand that but that's the approach I've chosen to deal with my disagreements with humanity. Yeah. Thank you for that answer. And I think you're right. When you take yourself out of the victim position, when you're trying to like explain and have conversations with people who do think that they're holier than thou or have the mentality of like sex workers beneath them, you know, you have to be cautious of your boundaries. Obviously you don't want to get in a conversation where someone is just like, you know, they have the intentions of not, shifting but there are some people who there is that possibility of shifting that mentality so i like your approach of like meeting them halfway and trying to like not over rationalize or try to like you put it well so i'm just going to leave it at that because you perfectly described it meeting them halfway and knowing which battles to to fight and knowing which battles to let go of is something that i would say and then King Noir, did you have something to offer for this uh, question? I just think that it, society has been on decline and it hasn't been sex works problem. It, it definitely, the decline of society, I think has a lot more to do with uh, the inability for a lot of human beings to actually just let other people live. You know, um, war is a whole lot more detrimental to humanity. Uh, allowing people to starve is is a whole lot worse for the overall world that we live in. The the um, the hoarding of resources is a whole lot worse for for society as a whole. In societies where sex work is legal, like if you think of like Amsterdam and other places where they implement actual ways to keep people healthy and and keep people safe actually makes the society flow a whole lot easier because it's something that's going to be done regardless you know don't don't be ashamed for what you do you are and you do it proudly absolutely and then there's a question here from maggie that says how do you address risk of stis for work that includes sexual contact for me especially you know when shooting scenes um part of the larger past system that is here in the United States. Uh, we go through talent testing and obviously things are about to change in regards to COVID and how we get tested. 
you know, I haven't been during this time, uh, except with my partner, we live together and we're in a relationship. But um, when it comes to, uh, to filming and things like that, you know, I only shoot with people who are also tested through the same system that I'm tested in, that we can actually check on each other's results to make sure that everyone's okay. And then Tapi, well, how do you address the risk of STIs for work that includes sexual contact? We, the context of my work, there's very minimal risk for that. Um, but because I do a lot of rope-based work, I do insist on keeping my rope for work, separate from my rope for my personal play. And the one I use for my work is decontaminated immediately after use. Uh, so that means uh, washing it. I know you're not meant to wash rope, but for the work I wash it. And I treat it uh, with heat and then recondition it once I'm done with the client. Because even if most of the work that I'm doing is all sexual, it's very sensual and the body uh, responds however it wants to respond. But I think now there's an additional layer of COVID being an STI as well. If you're going to interact with someone physically, even if it's not sexual, if there is now a risk of passing on this disease just by the fact that you're doing sex-related work. Um, the person followed up with, I should add that I was asking in terms of deciding, like, do you have some STIs that you're okay with while others you wouldn't want to deal with? Are there any STIs that you're okay working with and others that you don't want to work with? Because I don't have sex with people in, or the kind of sex that I'll be having is not, got less a risk. Um, so when I say sex, I mean, the sensuality of the experience as opposed to something penetrative and bodily fluid exchange. So it's not really an issue unless obviously someone has got uh, open sores, which is like uh, more likely to transfer fluids, um, even if it's from hand to hand or whatever the case may be. So it, it's going to depend on the context and the person's current health, I think, and how their body is expressing the current state of health as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on one quadrant of that uh, interaction, I think, yeah. Thank you for your answer. And we are now towards the end of our time. So I just want to thank both of the panelists for sharing their experiences and sharing and going into detail about the different ways we can help better this industry and just help better society as a whole. You know, everything takes each one, teach one. So thank you for giving us your time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. As if I don't say this enough, we're at the spread pod across the board. Thank you so much for staying tuned to the podcast for going on five years now, guys. This is this is huge. And I'm so grateful for you, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast from the beginning. If you haven't, I really, really, really do urge you to go back to the beginning. We have grown, but we do still have some dope content from five years ago. We value you very much. And because of this, we will continue to create um, content that is both fun and educational please let us know if there's anything you would like us to touch on our email address is host at the spread till next time goodbye
wanna share my secrets with you, cause with you I have no fear.